Big Fluff. What happened to the other girls at the party? They didn't make it. I'm sorry. So you remember now? Yes, son. Why doesn't anyone know? Nobody wants to know. That's how vampires survive. They're smart. They keep their numbers low, live in small bands, and the real world never catches on. Will I end up being one? I, I don't know for sure. Probably. <sighs> Unless we find him before you turn, then maybe there's a chance. Look, here's what we do know. You're connected to the master vampire now. He's a part of you. And this link will grow. You'll never be able to get him out of you. Not while he still exists. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch malign movies and we find their silver linings. And we talk in raspy voices, because we're doing icons of horror. And when I think icons of horror, I think Daniel Baldwin. Uh, enough of that. <laughs> uh, when, I was, uh, when I was listening to that clip, like it didn't immediately click what part of the movie was from. I'm like, man, that's a bad Alec Baldwin impersonation I'm listening to. And that's not wrong. I mean, it's a pretty funny slam on him. Like, if you want to <laughs> summarize Daniel Baldwin's career. Yeah. Um, no, we are watching. Uh, so to start out Icons of Horror Month, uh, we watched John Carpenter's Vampires. Yep. From like 98, I think. 1998. Oh, we're going to talk about the year it came out. Don't you worry. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, but yes, John Carpenter's Vampires, because it is. Uh, did you say? Did you say this part? It's October. It's a new month. It's October. New... It's Icons of Horror Month. Yeah. Uh, we did just run of the mill scary movies year one. This time we're focusing on some horror icons. And what better place to start than the one and only John Carpenter? Which what better place to start with John Carpenter than talking about how great John Carpenter? Is? Yeah. Let's let's have a little John Carpenter love in at the yeah. top because man. Do I love me some John Carpenter movies? It's it's a pretty, you know, maybe this movie aside, it's a pretty unassailable resume of one John Carpenter. He has more than enough hits to cancel out the, the missteps and the misfires. Also, he probably has more than enough money from the Halloween theme song to care what anyone thinks about anything. <laughs> Accurate. Because he wrote that. And, yeah. And they keep making those movies and he gets... He gets double money on that, I think. Like, he gets, like, they're making it and they're using the music. Because it was funny. I was, like, scrolling through his IMDb just because John Carpenter has done so many things that uh, I was trying to remember. Like, I didn't want to leave stuff out. And then I was, like, I kept seeing The Simpsons he's credited because they use the Halloween theme song. Like, you, right. you actually look like all the new Halloweens, they still use that song. So. Well, because it's brilliant, simple score. Yeah. No, it's that and Jaws are the gold standards of what you can do with minimal music. In, of less is more. Yeah. yeah. But if less is more, think about how. <laughs> how much more would be. Yeah. 
Uh, Because I will say that John Carpenter also, sometimes in his directing style, does take a more is more approach in a good. I mean that in a complimentary way. Yes. Oh, for sure. Also, Kurt Russell is the coolest guy ever, and he was well aware of that throughout his filmography. And so he wins my respect for that, because if I had been a director at the time, at the height of John Carpenter's career, my move also would have been put Kurt Russell in everything. Yeah. uh, I mean, if I was making movies now, I'd find ways to put Kurt Russell in things. Yep. No, for sure. And apparently I was reading he did want Kurt Russell to be in this movie, but there was a scheduling conflict. I'm going to go out on a pretty wide limb and say that had Kurt Russell been in this movie, we might not have been doing it for the podcast. No. Yeah. No chance. Like, because it <laughs> had one of his other collaborators, either Kurt Russell or Roddy Piper been in it. Can you imagine this movie with you just switch out James Woods and Daniel Baldwin with Roddy Piper and Keith David? That's already an infinitely better movie. Or you have. Roddy Piper and Kurt Russell. Yeah. And, and Keith David. I and would, Keith David. Yeah, Keith, David's, all... Keith David is the priest that joins up later. Oh my God. We just made this movie so much better. Yeah. So you have Kurt Russell as James Woods, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, and that Piper, was the part. And Piper is Baldwin. Yeah. Or the reverse. I don't know which is the better move. Well, I, I know that. So Jack Crow is the James Wood character. That's who... Kurt Russell was supposed to play if his schedule had not conflicted. Uh, and then Anthony Montoya, that would be not that Roddy Piper seems like a Montoya, but. But does Daniel Baldwin? No, that's true, too. Also, worth pointing out, maybe right now that Alec Baldwin was offered the part. And he of, said, hey, how about you take my brother Dan instead? He's like, how'd you like to save some money? <laughs> uh, poor Daniel Baldwin. He's doing fine. Yeah, he's. I'm sure he's, he's doing all right for himself. He's not Billy, so. That's, you know, or Steven. <laughs> which one's, I don't even remember which one's the, <laughs> the most maligned Baldwin. <laughs> um, Daniel Baldwin uh, is not the most, Steven Baldwin is the one that sort of went off the. Uh, that's who I was trying to. Tia, but whatever that, that yeah. is not we're not here look we don't review maligned baldwins and find their silver linings on this show it'd be a very different show it would be but uh yeah all right so we haven't really talked so we we talked about i mean john carbon is great he and yes. he, he's a he's done a lot a lot of great horror movies for sure uh some of them with kurt russell in them but this yeah. one uh, so yeah, it's from what I read, what sold him on the pitch. So maybe this is a way to, to set it up is he liked that it was a vampire movie, but also kind of a Western, which, okay. Yeah, I, I, this movie is not a bad idea on paper. Yeah. Well, I also, so another thing that I saw about this movie is apparently the budget for it was slashed. <laughs> by two thirds before they started. So there's a good chance he signed on for a much more ambitious movie. <laughs> yeah. And then they went, okay, but you don't have money anymore to make anything that you want. So, right. I will say that, like, I think this was a very effectively budgeted movie. Oh yeah. I think it's all on screen. Yeah. No, you know, you know where the money goes and it's, um, 
it's John Carpenter, so it is well made. I mean, we're getting ahead of things, you know, talk. I wouldn't call that a silver lining. The fact that it's a John Carpenter movie, but like it, it, it is a well-made film. Yeah. And it, I mean, the it's called Vampires. It has vampires in it when they show up and they attack people and the people fight back. That is satisfying, which I think you needed to happen, you know, like at, at a minimum. Yeah. yeah. So I think the John Carpenter of it all saw to that of at least I'm executing the premise <laughs> like because we've and we've talked about movies, I think, even fairly recently where it's like if you want to get something right, you want to get like if it's a genre movie about vampires, you at least bare minimum want to get the vampire part correct. Right. So, and I think, I think again, not, I, I'm not even calling that a silver lining, but I'm just stating that as a fact. Yeah. No, I would say that that it doesn't go into silver lining territory, but it is a fact of the movie that the vampires are, are good. They're good movie vampires. Yeah. Uh, I think for me to, if we're going to start talking about how it's maligned, I think it's the casting. And that's not to say that, uh, James Woods or Daniel Baldwin do bad jobs per se. I just, I don't think James Woods is a bad actor. I think he's a bad can, person. Can I just be clear oh, yeah, about that? I do that. think he's a bad person. Let's <laughs> I, go on record there. I would like that stated unequivocally. <laughs> uh, let the record show that we both think that James Woods is a bad person. Yes. Um, I actually think he's a pretty good actor. No, I in do all too. Honesty. Yes. But no. I will, I can never never root for him no and it's interesting too because a lot of the stuff that i was reading about this movie is he wanted to do this because he wanted to kind of play something outside of you know this was different for him this is a new challenge this is something we hadn't really seen james woods do and yeah i i think that he i think he's i don't i think he's okay <laughs> like no that it's i think yeah i think i think he's okay um I think I understand why he was cast. And I think, you know, look, when he's chopping heads off and pouring gasoline into a building and then lighting it on fire, the, the building full of his the corpses Dead of his friends. friends, I that stuff worked for me. I think like the more yeah. just I'm a gruff, I've seen it all you know, just sort of hollow man at this point. I think he played that well. I think what didn't work, and maybe maybe you disagree, like maybe you think it was a bigger problem than this, but I think specifically, and I'm not even trying to pick on Daniel Baldwin, who I really don't have anything against, but I think this movie, again, we're talking John Carpenter, and you, if you think about They Live and you think about Piper and Keith David, what you wanted, and especially for the end of this movie, is... These two guys needed amazing chemistry together. You needed, you know, like buddy cop type. Or, I mean, again, they, they're trying to do like an old West thing. So you want, uh, you know, Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer or something. Like you right, want, you want but a Butch and Sundance vibe. You want Butch and Sundance. You want the, the feeling that these two guys have, you know, they're gruff and they faced a lot, but they, they really have each other's backs. And that you just feel that chemistry between the two of them. I think that that's core to the story. And 
they didn't really have that. They they didn't feel like friends. I I don't. I got no, the impression they, watching they felt it, like begrudging accomplices. Yeah, watching it, I was like, I think they called cut, and then the two men just stood there awkwardly waiting, for awkwardly them to staring at each other for the next setup. <laughs> yeah, like I I don't imagine they were cracking jokes with each other in between setups or anything. They just yeah, they just don't have a vibe of like they are having fun with each other, which I think if the two guy leads had better chemistry that would make you not notice a lot of other things that are on like lower budget in this movie i think it's because everything's so stripped down you need to really care about both of them and you need to care about their storylines and they're fine individually but yeah they just don't gel together i think yeah um well and i th- i just think you need someone in both role like I think a James Wood type would have been a better Montoya. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, but then that would have been like, I don't want to see. <laughs> well, also, I mean, I will get to this when we get to this, but I have some feelings on the Montoya Katrina uh, stuff, which yeah. I just I want to say because we haven't said anything either way. I love Cheryl Lee in this movie, and I think oh, she's, yeah, she's great. Phenomenal casting. Like, I think she adds so much to that role. But even with Daniel Baldwin, there was a little that made me kind of, you know, raise an eyebrow. And I think James Wood would have made it a lot worse. A lot of my issues with like the way the two of them were. You could very well be right about that. I I would I would agree there. But yes, like uh, one of my favorite forgotten like movies is Digstown, which is another James Woods vehicle. And he is irredeemable in that movie. But I. It's great because it's James Woods and he's a dirtball and it works really well. Yeah. Uh, and I just didn't feel like that was something that didn't work for me as like a, a big thing. And I think that played into the chemistry between uh, Montoya and Crow. Um, and, I, you know, I think. It sort of starts and ends there. Um, yeah, because that's the thing, too, is like Kurt Russell is just innately more likable. Roddy Piper is just innately more likable on screen. And again, James Woods can work with that. But I think you have to factor that into your writing. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I do. Another thing I read is that um, basically the way they shot the movie is they let. Or James Woods did a take as written and then they let him ad lib a take. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said they end up using a lot of the ad libs. Maybe because yeah. he was trying harder, but. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do one as written and, and one how you want to do it. So let's do the one as written first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to kill these vampires. I, I, I want to kill those vampires. I don't like the vampires. All right. Can we ad lib one? Hi, these All vampires. Right, is, that, is that a take? <laughs> <laughs> these vampires? Yeah. They're probably, everywhere. That's probably how it was. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, I think that like. This is the type of movie that's not going to win a lot of critics over unless it's exceptional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't, it definitely wasn't exceptional. That, that I don't think is a not, I don't think you can go into any movie hope, you know, with your minimum being an exceptional film and, and not be disappointed most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but I think that like, it also, like the vampires were cool. But, like, there wasn't anything interesting, new, or different about them. Well, I think that was it. Is like, I, it was trying very hard to, and it, I mean, the movie says this outright as much. James Wood says this outright of the idea that, like, these aren't 
you know the the type of vampires that you've read about in like a was it Anne Rice is that who like, like it's yeah. not you know this is not interview with a vampire vampires they're not little fancy men who you know um seduce women with their charm or whatever like they they wanted them to be less of like whatever that's sort of like victorian vampire vibe but then valak kind of seduces katrina with his charm well right but what i'm saying is i think they wanted to tone that stuff down but then they also didn't replace it with anything new (laughs) so they were just less of like they wanted to not highlight i think the things because again i think they they didn't fit with this sort of i want this to be a western that sort of vibe they wanted i guess them to seem more like vampire outlaws i guess would be what you'd want but i don't think they well and they're like you know crosses don't work garlic doesn't work but the stakes thing that's legit can I just say, look, this is maybe this would play into, you know, I don't see us stopping doing the show anytime soon. And I imagine every October we're probably going to end up talking about these types of movies. Can we stop that? Like, I'm not a fan of <laughs> crosses. I'm right with you. Crosses. Ugh, that's just fake. But, you know, like, just just do the stuff. You picked vampires. Vampires are silly. There are silly rules about them. But you, But you can't be like... Oh, well, forget everything you know about Wolfman's son, because Wolfman's the one thing that won't kill him is silver bullets. Now, gold bullets, those will kill him. That'll get him. It's like, shut up. Just do the thing. Like, you picked this. You want to shoot the zombies in the kneecaps. (laughs) Also, that's where that femoral artery bleeding out (laughs) is really what makes sure that they die. Also, while we're at it. They're called zombies, and in your fictional world where they're showing up for the first time, everybody is familiar with the term zombies. You, like, I'm also not a fan of that, of like, oh, these uh, chomp chomp faces. Oh, you got all the chomp faces. They always, like, make up a new term for zombies, and it's like, just call them zombies. It's cool. Right. They're zombies, like The only man. time I think it worked was Shaun of the Dead, where he's like, but you said the Zed word. Like, that worked. Well, because they're acknowledging... That it, the trope. Yeah, it's just uh, like so many of these things, and I'm looking at you, Kirkman, they seem to exist like in a world where they specifically like go out of their way not to use the term zombie. Yeah, I embrace the embrace the universe you're playing in. Well, also, it makes me sad because that implies that in your universe, the song Land Down Under doesn't exist. Because or the, the, the classic 60s uh, British Invasion band. Yeah, I mean, what's going on here? Like, this like, is... Who recorded She's Not There? <laughs> yeah, come like, on. That song's great. Yeah, so now you... Yeah, so first of all, we get no Colin Hayes, and also we get, yeah, none of their catalog either. None of the... Go, when you get a chance, look at the Zombies discography. They have some jams. Yeah. Yeah. Also, White Zombie, what happened there? Wait, where, where would White Zombie be? Yeah. Goodness did, gracious. And then also, I mean, and not just the music, which is great, but then did Rob Zombie not go on to direct? Like, come on. Yeah. Was his name Rob Dracula now? <laughs> you know, if they called him Rob Dracula, I, <laughs> that would make up for it. I would be okay. Okay. If he was Rob Dracula and not Rob Zombie, I'd be okay with that. Also, the yes. Cranberry song. There. Look at look at yeah. this sad world that you've created. Was it in your head? Dracula. La, Dracula. Dracula. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. You know, but yeah, um, I'm fine with 
adjusting the mythos to fit your film. But I think I think we'll do right it up there with, with you thought. only use ten percent of your brain. Yes. Yeah. Um right up there. Forget everything you know about <laughs> about Frankensteins. <laughs> or, these Frankensteins are actually never been dead at all. So they're just men? Yeah. <laughs> But they're all doctors. See, this is what you want. They're all Dr. Frankenstein, not the monsters. Are you happy? Are you happy, pedantic nerds? <laughs> um, also, he named, he named the creature Frankenstein. I think we covered this one last year. But like, Dr. Frankenstein, that was his last name. And he, he gave his undead monster his last name. Because that's what you do. Every undead monster that I've created, I have given the last name McIntyre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what you do. But just McIntyre. They don't have any other yeah. name. Nope. Just they're all, all 17 of them are McIntyre. <laughs> it's real. It's like a George for like it's George Foreman, but for the undead in your house. Yeah. For, for uh, undead flesh golems. <laughs> undead flesh golems would be an amazing punk band. Yeah. I I can just imagine the illegible font that appears on a black t-shirt for the undead flesh golems. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, the, the, these are some of the reasons. I think we got we got a little sidetracked, but th- those are some of the problems with this movie. I, I teed it up, so I, I do. I don't want to forget to mention this. Why did Montoya strip Katrina down naked and... <laughs> tie her like and the thing was he came I get in, restraining her i get restraining her totally because she's gonna turn into a vampire but he walks into the room she's naked with like she's tied up and she is her mouth has duct tape over it and he's like like he's like hey you know don't don't scream well, oh, <clears throat> sorry hold on hey don't scream uh, hey, I, don't I tied scream. you up because you were bit by a vampire also i cleaned you up and i took off your clothes and it's like yeah okay okay wait what's the last one <laughs> like what? like wait I mean, I, kn- I know I'm naked, but like but? I, I was waiting for him to be like, because when you turn into a vampire, you get so hot that like you, your body would overheat and you would have gone into shock or like, you know, you would have had heat stroke or like some, I, well, first of all, you didn't need to do it. Let me be clear about that. The scene, or I laundered them or I washed your clothes, but he just says it like, and I took all your clothes off and it's like. Buddy, that's not Dude. cool. Like, but I made sure to tie you face down so that even though this movie had an R rating, there wouldn't be any extra nudity in it. Just some side boob. I mean, well, that's because Montoya read her contract, so he understood. Ah, <laughs> what he understood Cheryl Lee's contract. That makes he, a lot of sense. Yeah, so he was respecting that. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was dumb. It was dumb. It was silly. It was creepy as hell because it was a bald one doing it. Yeah, that's all accurate. <laughs> well, yeah, I just that seemed like really just stood out of like, I mean, this is this feels weird and like just and again, like you said, it's a movie that has violence and nudity in it. Like you, you guys were good. You didn't need to do this. Like it's it's right. fine. I'm just picturing like it's like. Uh, hey, John, I have a suggestion. What if I strip her naked and tie her to a bed? Why? Because that, that, that's what the bald ones do. Oh, my God. That's not okay. <laughs> uh, 
you can't convince me that conversation didn't happen. Word for, I mean, the, look, I heard it like just now. Like, that's how it sounded like. I definitely sounded like a Baldwin saying it. And dead on John Carpenter. I just want to point that like, well done. Th- thank you. Look, I defy anyone listening to tell me that John Carpenter doesn't sound like that. I love the man. Can you can you picture his voice can, in your head? Can, can you tell me what he sounds like? <laughs> <laughs> um. I will say another thing, like, I, I know this wasn't the thrust of the movie, uh, but I, I wanted to get to know the vampires, especially the lead vampire, a little bit more. No, I think that that was, you kind of hinted at that in the, the other thing, too, with, like, the rules and everything. I think one of the biggest, like, beside the chemistry between the two leads, which I do think is a big problem, I think the other problem is, yeah, like, you you need a threat. You need the vamp, I, like... We don't there's just a vampire that's just chasing them, but we don't really understand who who he is as a character. And the thing was, it was built into the script to be able to because you you created this MacGuffin that this character is psychically connected to him. And therefore you have as the heroes rare like access to this guy's interiority. But it's not used in that like she could have told us a lot more about how he thinks or how he operates or or anything but he just doesn't have much of a defined personality outside of like i'm trying to get the thing and i want to bite people i'm evil and i'm a vampire and i sleep underground and then pop out of the ground <laughs> those are his things i, I just i just think because like uh the actor whose name is escaping me uh has a really great presence yeah, I was trying to find it. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, like, he has a really great screen presence. I think he looks awesome as the vampire, uh, as Valak. Oh, it's Thomas Ian Griffith. Thomas Ian Griffith. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he's, so, got, he's got a vampire look to him. Yeah. Uh, I just, like, you know, maybe they do some flashbacks because they kind of established that he's the first vampire made in a Catholic ritual gone right. Yeah, I mean, they they described it, I liked that as a reverse exorcism, that they keep the evil spirit, but they, they lose the person, the human inside. Yeah. Um, like, that was kind of neat. Like, maybe a flashback to that would have been cool. I could see John Carpenter do it, and that could have been a budget thing. Yeah, maybe there was one, and then they were like, nope. It's like, well, I guess we're not going period with this. Everybody wear the clothes they got on. You know what, James? Go ahead and make up whatever you want. We don't have the money to film the script. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think like... Because also he knows Jack Crow's name and they never explore why that's a big deal. Well, I think that they did it the, because... Well, the implication was that the the guy, the the head priest, whatever his name, he was in oh, on was, it. Was a mole, yeah. So Father, they did kind of pay that off at the so end. So. That he he actually, we found out that the main the main old dude, like he he was in on it, and he was you know like a vamp. I think he was a vampire. I'm pretty sure. No, he was he was hoping to be turned into a vampire. Okay, right, yeah. So, but like that—that's he was why. getting old and he was seeing his own mortality and he wanted to live forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew he gave so the he speech. Heel. He gave the speech because he was all like, uh, you know, God. Like I, I, I'm afraid of dying, and I have been waiting for a message from him, and I haven't gotten it. Yeah. So, like that, I might assume that explains because yeah, the whole idea was that 
uh, they were set up their team. Yeah, I'm Played not sure by Maximilian but, Shell. But why they were set up, I, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> like, I guess yeah. just to get them out of the way. Right. Like, that's one of those things that it's a, a gaping plot hole in a lot of like heist movies and chase movies. They're like, we're gonna give him just one degree of wrong information so that there's no way they can correct course and and be where they need to be when you could have just done nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. It's like, I'm going to have Jack Crow hunting vampires all around where my vampire master is. No way will he actually hunt my vampire. master. Or not even like I'm going to you know, hey, hey, Jack, you know, where the head vampire is Alaska. There. Boom. <laughs> where there's 40 days of night. Yeah. And um, he here's the thing about him. He he hides real good. So you're going to be like going around Alaska and you're going to be like, I don't think this guy is here, but that means you're on the trail. But remember, Alaska's real big. Yeah. So, but yeah, just, yeah, why, why have them there at all? Especially because, yeah, I mean, Jack Crow, you can't kill that guy. No. Well, I mean, they did sort of establish that they needed like the blood of a crusader. But just like wait till you get the thing and then trap him. Yeah, well, yeah. I why do you tip him off when you're still looking for the thing? You know, you need you need the the MacGuffin to right. do the thing. So, yeah, I just thought that that plot was a little thin. Yes, no, I agree, and I think that probably is because a lot of, I mean, because from what I was reading, like this is based on a book, and I think the the, the impression that I got was that. It bears little resemblance to the book, the finished product. Like they, they cut a lot out from the thing that they were adapting. Yeah, well, because the book is vampire spelled with a dollar sign. Because it was written by James Cameron. It was his sequel to the movie Vampire, and he wrote that on a chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> um, vampires with a dollar sign, Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because there are some working ideas where one, it was going to be set in like the future and vampires were going to be like a well-known well-aware foe of mankind and then there was like well we may not have the budget to do the future so maybe we'll do it in the present and they're going back and forth with how known vampires were as a quantity yep <laughs> yeah and they i mean they the like with a better budget, this would have been a better movie, almost certainly. But I don't, I don't blame everything on the lack of budget. No, no, for sure. Well, I also, I have one. I don't know if you have anything else to malign, but I, I think we, I've been saving what I think is the biggest knock on this movie, which is, and I, I, I teased this before. This movie came out in 1998. Do you know what other movie came out in 1998? Blade. Blade. So I think really what's honestly working against this movie is that it's not Blade because Blade yeah. is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's not. It's a modern take on vampires and it's not the best modern take on vampires of the year it comes out. Yeah. And I mean, like it, it, this Volcanoes one, Dante's Peak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's you. You had competing. Vamp Wyatt Earp. Yeah. You had competing vampire movies and. I, I don't know what your your history with Blade is, but when Blade came out, I saw it in the theater 
and I loved it so much that I immediately saw it in the theater again. And then I was at a party with a friend of mine and I realized they hadn't seen Blade and I was like, we should go see Blade right now. And so I saw Blade three times in the theater because it was like, I, I love the first Blade movie. It, it to me might be the perfect for like everything this movie wanted to do. It nails it from the opening scene all throughout it. The music works, the fight scenes work, the, the characters work. And the thing is, there's so much crossover with this movie of like, there's a female like character that, uh, gets bit and that they, they should kill, but they don't want to, you know, like there's, all this stuff like that, that kind of crosses it. There's a guy and then there's like his his sidekick friend who's helping him and they're, they're fighting vampires and the vampires are trying to figure out how to exist during the day. Like there, there's so much crossover between these two movies and Blade does every single piece of it better. Uh, and the actor that plays uh, Father Gateau is also in Blade. <laughs> yeah, you have an actor in both of them. But like, yeah, the cast is better. The Everything is better. The music's better. Like, it's just Blade. Look, if you've ever seen Blade, just stop what you're doing right now and watch Blade. Go watch Blade. Blade is awesome. Blade and is Blade 2 great. is also awesome. Yeah, Blade 2 is great. They're going to make a new Blade with Mahershala Ali pretty soon. That's going to be great, I'm sure. Like, but I've, all I have... The utmost faith in Mahershala Ali doing a badass Blade movie. Which is also like the only casting that you could do where I'm like, because Wesley Snipes is an amazing Blade. And I'm like, I don't oh, know. Yeah. I don't know how you can match that. But then I was like, oh, that's how. That's how you can match you know, it. Wesley Snipes is legit up there for some of the best superhero casting, period. Yeah. And I would probably say, I feel good about saying this, although I feel like I'm going to say it and then someone's going to be like, oh, you forgot about blah, blah. But I, I want to say it's the best marvel movie pre-mcu i i feel pretty good saying that the blade just as a franchise is probably the best marvel franchise pre-mcu i mean they all falter in part three yes but man x-men spider-man but i think the x-men stumble a lot more (laughs) and 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 uh, yeah i mean yeah is spider-man three worse than (laughs) Blade Trinity? Blade Trinity. Probably? Probably. Uh, uh, I mean, Spider-Man I 2 know. is great, but I, I feel pretty good about that. The Blade, is, I, I think, is my favorite of the pre-MCU. I, I, I honestly think I might, if you're just taking the first two of all of them, I still think I might prefer both Spider-Man and X-Men, but it's a close race. Oh, no, definitely not X-Men. It's not even, X-Men is not oh, even. I, this, I like X-Men a lot. X-Men is not in this conversation for me. (laughs) Like, I like the second X-Men movie. The first one's watchable, and every other X-Men movie is bad to me. But... Um... Yeah. Uh... I think the first one does a good job of setting the stage to make a good second one for X-Men. Um... Yeah, but but it has that line about, do you know what happens to it? blows X-Men out of the water as just for chapter ones. Yeah. Like, it's not close. Do you know what happens to a toad when it's hit by lightning? Yeah, the same thing that happens to everything else. That old saying that everyone knows and says. Yeah, compare that to some motherfuckers always want to ice ski, like ice skate uphill. Much better line. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, Blade. Blade is is great, mm-hmm. and coming out like within weeks of vampires definitely didn't do vampires also, any service. This all reminded me, by the way, of to get it back on on topic. One of the other casting notes that I read because there were a lot of people that were thrown around. Apparently, Willem Dafoe's name was in the mix at some point for the villain in this movie. And 
man, can you imagine how much better this would have been if Willem Dafoe was the villain? No offense to the guy who was it. It's no, just Thomasine Griffith was good, but man, Willem Dafoe playing a villain is one of the reasons I do love the first Spider-Man movie quite a lot. Spider-Man. He's so great. He really is. All right. All heroes must fall. <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> I could watch an hour of that man yelling at himself in that Spider-Man movie. Oh, yeah. I, when I try to remember, I forget that that's not just two thirds of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. Anyway. Um, uh, let's pivot. Let's talk about the, the silver line. We've hinted at some of them. Cheryl Lee. Cheryl Lee, big silver. She was great. Yeah. And I love that one of the things, too, that I saw was that I was like, John Carpenter cast her after seeing Twin Peaks. And it's like, duh. Yeah, that's very evident. Like, yeah. What? No way. Shocking. You know who would look great and be really charismatic while dying through most of this movie? Cheryl Lee. <laughs> Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, she she's fantastic casting. I, I really liked how she played the character. I really liked everything with her. Um, that was all cool. Um, just as a scene when Valak kills the whole crew is badass. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I, I mentioned it before, but just as a scene when James Woods has to go back and chop all their heads off and burn the place down is so also they don't good. rise up from the dead. Yeah. No, that's good. I will. Man, we pivoted, but I did think it was weird that they bothered to to have a newscast like recap that when I'm like, you're not paying this off. Like, why? Why make it clear that the news is on to this when that's not going to matter later? Yeah. Um, Another thing I liked, I don't know if it goes full on as a silver lining, uh, but when just as sort of a running gag, when they kept calling out the rules to each other. Yeah. In a bit that Wedding Crashers ripped off completely from this movie. I was going to say, like, the, the other movies do that because the biggest one, too, that, that I actually thought of watching it was Zombieland really leans into the idea of rules. And I, I actually thought that that was one of the things that felt like it could have been heightened more. And mm -hmm. maybe if they had a little bit better buddy cop chemistry, I wish there was more discussion of the rules because, like, I, I did like that idea. But, yeah, the rules thing worked like I, that. I like the ambiguity of it. I think that. They probably should have dialed double down on it because that's something that costs zero dollars to well, talk that's about. A, rules. That's what I'm saying is, yeah, when you're stripping everything else away, I would have I wanted more rules. I wanted more discussion of the rules like all of that. Yeah, I I also I I really like the last scene between the two yeah, of them. Yeah, that's, the that's what I was going to talk about next. Yeah, and it's one of those things that I wish their chemistry had been a little bit better because I think it would have landed even harder. But just as written, it really works. And it kind of has that, you know, Old West feel that they were going for. Or, or this is a pretty common, you know, cop, you know, buddy cop trope too of like if the cop is working with a criminal kind of thing or whatever, like at the very end, it's like, you know, it's like a midnight run type of situation of like at the end, I'm hauling you in, you know, but then I'm a, like, they did that. They managed to do that with like, you got bit. And then it's like, well, how many days did, ago did you get bit? Two. Well, that's how many days head start you get. Like, I, all of that was cool. Like, I think that, like, I would, were I James Woods, um, 
playing that part. I don't think I would have changed any of the way he played it if they'd had stronger buddy chemistry. No. Because he is just remorseless about it. Yes. He is so matter of fact being like, well, I'll give you two days. Yeah. I also think it's the best acting that Daniel Baldwin, that like it's his best scene in the movie too. Because he's like really like, I love her. And like, he's really broken up about it. Like this is, you know, really difficult for him because he knows he's betraying these rules. Right. Uh, but yeah, I thought I thought that scene was really good. Um, I thought the vampire stuff in general, and we kind of talked about it at the beginning, like they use the money well to make like the vampires exploding. Yeah. Cheesy well, in like the good John Carpenter way. Yeah. And when I, this is a time when you still got a lot of, you know, when you can see it too, where Blade had more like VFX, but this has, you know, I think it's all, well, I always hesitant to say all practical effects because who knows, there might've been something, <laughs> but like, um, it, it seemed like overwhelmingly practical effects in this movie, uh, which is always cool to see. I'm always a fan of, uh, and, and yeah, just to, just to one more thing about the, the last scene, I, I think it's a perfect ambiguous ending too, because that's the ambiguous ending you want where you like, you want to just end with, with the two bit by vampires, like driving off into the sunset, because you don't want to have to answer that question of like, do they turn, do they get caught? Like what, like it's your ending you're you're ending on purpose at a specific point to be like, it's a happy ending right this second. Right. Yeah. It's not happily ever after. It's happy right now. Yeah. So I thought that was smart. Um, and it like it left room if this movie had been successful to be the start of a franchise, but doesn't feel in any way unsatisfied unsatisfying that it's not. No, you like it. Like, yeah, because yeah, a lot of options. You could you could have had the next movie be about trying to save Daniel Baldwin. You could have the next movie be about hunting Daniel Baldwin, who's now become the powerful vampire like there's a lot of you options could, you there. could have the next movie be about hunting daniel baldwin even if he doesn't become a powerful vampire that's just true hunt daniel baldwin yeah or the next movie could just be about cheryl lee just whatever she's doing and maybe she's just left daniel, daniel baldwin. baldwin she's hunting daniel baldwin <laughs> yeah i mean this is like there, there's a reason this is towards the bottom of John Carpenter's vaunted filmography. It's fine. It's fine. Look, if yeah, you it, if you've seen all the blades, a lot, or just the first two blades, a lot, then I mean, watch it. Watch this. It's it's fine. Hey, look, it's on stars, and if you if you love vampires or Baldwin's. Or James Woods. If you're the type of person who has stars, you're the type of person that's probably going to watch this movie. I'm just going to put that out there into the world. Yeah. You either host this podcast or you, you'll you just watch this movie on your own. Right. Yeah. We're the only two people who subscribe to stars, right? I think so. Which stars? Holler Listen, at your boys. Holler at your boys. We will... We will make sure that we're not the only two that subscribe to stars. If you, you know, look, you talk to us, you reach out to us, you make us some kind of deal. I'll finally pull the trigger on that heel show. That's in my queue that I have not watched. Like (laughs) I'll just, I'll offer that to you right, right up front. Yeah. Joel will start watching heels and then we can, (laughs) then Joel and I can talk about heels. Have you been watching heels? we'll We'll do a heels podcast. Have you been watching heels? I've been watching heels. Should I be watching heels? 
You can watch heels. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, you can watch heel. You can definitely watch some heels. That did not seem like a, a ringing endorsement for heels. I I I I, I like heels. Um, now is not the podcast to endorse uh, serialized dramas about the world of professional wrestling. Yeah, but that, if you want a serialized drama about the world of professional wrestling, uh, I can think of none better than heels. Every Sunday on Stars. And if you want my opinion of heels. Uh, stars, maybe write me a check. Yeah, maybe holler at your boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, we're open. We're pretty, look, that bar is low at this point. It doesn't even have to we be are, a big if, offer. If, if you haven't figured it out, we are willing to shell. Yeah. Anyone who's listening to this, we've said it before, but I'm going to say it unequivocally now. We will take your money. Yeah. If you want to give us, we will, we will <laughs> tell people to buy your product in exchange for you giving us money to do so. So tune in next week for Halliburton Presents. <laughs> Silver Linings Playback. For Dubai Air Presents. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey, this is Chris. And this is Joe from the Curioso Podcast. And we give our stamp of Curioso approval to the podcast that you're listening to right now. 